family theme in our lesson today is all about the kingdom of heaven. Anybody here a part of that kingdom? Aren't you glad that you are? What a privilege it is to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Our objective this morning is that we would live as citizens of God's kingdom and would do that by putting His Word into action. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 24 through 52. And we have three key truths this morning. Uh, number one, that citizens of God's kingdom live in the fallen world. Are you surprised by that? No, we are. But we do that until the judgment. Second of all, God's kingdom grows from small beginnings. And the third thing is, uh, the third key truth, is being a citizen of God's kingdom is more than worship. Amen. Let's go to our connect this morning. Notice on the overhead, finish your sentence. The worst purchase I ever made was fill in the blank. And you answer. Anybody ever make a bad purchase? What was the worst purchase you ever that you think you made? What now? <laughs> Shareable relationship that man, you go back a long way, Charlie. Why do you say that? Don't beat around that bush. Come out and see your thoughts about it. Okay, see what you got. Somebody else. That's a good one. Worst purchase you ever made. What now? Uh oh. You got a Tibetan Christ. Okay, Alan, tell me why. Somebody else. Probably the worst that I ever made is because of uh, not doing my research correctly, but I had bought a house for 15 years ago. And uh, I went to find out what people's people were in favor of, blah, blah, blah. And so I based my bidding on that house and uh, on my information. And uh, I paid too much for the house. Then I realized.
Understanding who made up the part of the kingdom of heaven. So John preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and therefore we sent Jesus Christ when he came to the earth, ushered in the kingdom of heaven. So in 
verse 24 through 30, Jesus gives a parable. And uh, interesting, uh, what's the par- what, what happened in that parable? What took place? Exactly. It's not night, but it is morning. And so, this guy goes out and he sows some wheat. And the parable says, while he slept, and the enemy came in, and he planted some tares. Now, I spent a while since I did a word study on that, but my memory serves me correctly. It's another plant that really resembles wheat. And uh, you can tell the difference, but it takes close and, so, and, and by the way, uh, growing up in southern Illinois, uh, watching farmers each year, there would uh, two big crops there would be uh, soybeans and corn. Uh, different remedies and things like that. Uh, but normally they would go and they would, uh, at the end of the season, back in the day when they plowed fields and ditched them, they don't do that anymore. Uh, and of course, we didn't have the wheat that we have today. But they plant soybeans. Becomes a weed. It doesn't belong there. Now they, they wouldn't sprout out by acres. You know, you'd have one or two, maybe uh, three or four, whatever, spread out in, in a row. And I remember one year we made my uncle and I made great money. I remember we were only a year apart in age, and we got paid. Uh, he he hired some people we knew that were uh, older teenagers than us, quite a bit older. We weren't teenagers yet, and I don't know who we were paying them, but they said we'll pay you a penny a row. So they. I don't know what they made, but we were the dummies. We'd go out there and walk in fields. Now, we didn't do it long. You can imagine that. But the fun wore off pretty quick. But they were going to pay us a penny a row to get rid of that corn. Because it was a weed. And I don't remember going through cornfields and cutting out soybeans. But nonetheless, you kind of get the picture here. Now, again, it's interesting. Uh, as we study the Word of God, it only has one correct interpretation. And through the years, these verses have been misapplied and misinterpreted to say that when it's church, you can't get rid of the bad seed because you don't know that you're going to destroy the life of a good Christian. That is not what this parable is speaking about. In fact, uh, Jesus explains this parable is not the church, it is the world. So Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. How do I know this is not about uh, church discipline being wrong? Because the Bible speaks about that in Matthew, how we're to deal with it. When Paul wrote the church of Corinth in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there was something going on in the church that should have been there, and Paul tells them you need to deal with that. You need to excommunicate that brother involved in this sin. Also in Acts chapter 2, even though Acts is not necessarily a book we get our procedures from, it is a historical book, but we find that in there in Acts 2, Peter called those who had lied about what they gave to God, they end up crossing in their life. So this is not about church discipline. In fact, Jesus says later on, the parable says that the, the, 
the sower who is Christ, he's a, he's a good farmer. He's the one that sold the seed. And the seed went out into the world. So in the world, you have people who are part of God's kingdom and those who are not. And the problem is there was a misunderstanding of who belongs to the kingdom of God. But also, there's a dual nature of the kingdom having arrived through the person of Jesus Christ, but yet it won't be fully established until the judgment comes. Now, uh, again, we're looking at several parables here this morning, but remember, keep them in context, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And in a little while, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And the whole point of the kingdom of God, when Jesus came, it began. And did it have a great big beginning? Great explosion? No. It began small in the hearts of men and women. And it continues that way until the day of judgment. So the parable of the wheat and the tares is about the kingdom of God. So my question is this. Who gets to define the kingdom of God? Say it again, Jeff. God. God is the one who defines the kingdom of God. Now, I, I mentioned it's been that way. I mean, the problem been there since Jesus was here. <coughs> but there were many in that crowd that not only did they misunderstand the idea of the kingdom of God, they misapplied uh, the terms of the kingdom of God. And they thought, hey, who's he talking about here? We're Jews. We have Abraham as our father, so their mindset says we are automatically part of the kingdom of God. So what does God say about that? It's not true. That is not true. So what Jesus is doing in these parables, he's clarifying the meaning, if you will, of and the nature of the kingdom of, of God. In fact, he's going to he tells them throughout the gospels that. Just because you're a child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, doesn't mean you're automatically a part of the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, uh, he, he quotes from the book of Psalm here in a moment, but again, he speaks, if you will, from, about things that were hidden from the foundation of the world. And what was hidden was, was the mystery of salvation through the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, when the Bible speaks of a mystery, it speaks of something that was one time not known, but now is known. So for all those years, most Jews believed salvation came through keeping the law, through being a Jew, through their lineage, if you will, being a descendant of Abraham. But the mystery was, it's not there, it's through Jesus Christ. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, Harold, you're right. That's why they want Jesus said to them, basically, guess what? Guess what it's worth? It's not worth anything. All your prestige, it doesn't matter. That doesn't make you a part of the kingdom of God. And the mystery was, even the believers on Wednesday night looking at divine inspiration, and how even the Old Testament points to things that are true and become fully realized in the New Testament. But nonetheless, it's interesting. Jesus quotes uh, from the 78th Psalm. I wonder how he knew the Psalm. <laughs> but he did, didn't he? He knew them very well. 
But he quotes from uh, Psalm 78, verse 2. And Psalm 78 is a, is a psalm of Asaph. Now, Asaph lived a lot of years after the Exodus. And in Psalm 78, uh, he, Asaph recounts the history of Israelites, uh, of the Jews, and he recounts it as though it were a parable. Now, again, we mentioned this on Wednesday night in our Bible study time. Those events were literal, actual events. They really happened. But even Asaph, years later, said, you know what? There's more there than we're reading. That's what happened. But Asaph is saying, look, we need to bring it to our day how God is still delivering his people. Now, he delivered them in Exodus. Sure he did, and they needed that. But guess what people need today? They still need it. And Asaph said, we need it even in our day when he wrote this psalm. So again, they, they gleaned, if you will, from perspective of their history they had available at that time. Things they had heard, uh, things they had known, uh, things that had been passed down from their uh, fathers before them. And Asaph said, they take on a new meaning. That God is still actively working to deliver us. And, and so, again, Asaph said he didn't understand something. God placed judgment on them back in that day because they failed to obey him. So, Asaph is implying what's going to happen to us today if we don't obey God. Same thing. So, he's bringing it forward, if you will, in the form of a, a parable. And so God passed judgment, and their failure to obey certainly is brought forward. And, and, and now Jesus is saying, hey, the same is true. If you fail to obey the word of God, God's judgment is coming upon you. Now, it's interesting. God had ordained a special people to Jesus. They were to take the message of God to the world. But the problem was, they misunderstood their role. And the problem was, they were to live for God as an example to a lost world. And they failed to do that. They were not being obedient to God. And so in their mind, they thought, we're okay. We are children of Abraham. And so they misunderstood the nature of the kingdom of God. My question is, do people still do that today? Still do. They still misunderstand the nature of the kingdom of Christ. So Jesus said in this parable, In the world there are wheat, okay, and there are wheat. Meaning what? Okay, what? Now, oh, wait a minute, Lavenda. You listen to the world. Everybody who dies goes to heaven. Isn't that true? Isn't that what? I mean, it's not true. That's what they say. But yeah, Lavenda, there's good people and there's bad people. There are people who are part of the kingdom of heaven and... Jesus said, 
in that day would be someone who stands before God and cry, Lord, Lord, just like that song. Well, Lord, we did this and we said that and we did you know, we did all these things. And we say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now here's what's interesting. That still proves true today. And it's proved true even more today. People who claim to know God who really know nothing about Him. Yet I couldn't help but notice again as I as you read those verses. Jesus tells us what happens when we leave. What happens? Why? Matthew describes those who were cast into that fire furnace as those who are the causes of sin and lawbreakers, those who rebel against God in verses 31 and 32. Now, that's a paraphrase uh, from Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 3, where Zephaniah prophesied about a time uh, when God would sweep away man and beast, and uh, he, uh, he would sweep away the rubble, those are stubble blocks, and all that Sweep away the wicked. The question is, did God make mistakes? No. There'll come a day he will separate, separate, separate the wheat and the tares. A day he will separate the sheep and uh, the goats. And what had happened was this. Uh, the idolatry of Judah caused a lot of mixing of God's law with wicked practice. They were kind of mixing them together. And when they did that, uh, not only uh, did they fail in their mission uh, of worshiping God, but also failed to serve as a light in darkness. Now, keep it in mind. And they, they didn't give out, uh, they didn't present an accurate picture of God's holiness and the standards of His kingdom. Uh, in fact, they had become false representatives of, of him to a lost world. And Jesus told the Pharisees one time, he said, you're, you're twice as children of hell. Because not only do you uh, preach a wrong doctrine, a, a wrong kind of living, he said, you prevent those, you hinder those who really want to know the truth. And the, the bottom line was there were a lot of people looking to the religious establishment to give them the truth. What do we need to do and to know to please God? And Jesus, you're telling them wrong. And because they're following you, you're making them children of hell as well. Now, also, uh, they also demonstrated their fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of the law and the purpose of God's chosen people. Now, remember, the law was never meant to save anyone. Never. Because if you're going to keep the law, you had to keep what part of it? All of it. And so you couldn't do that. Now, again, uh, those who did their sacrifices, uh, those who obeyed the law to the best of their ability, that when you do it in the right perspective, in the right attitude, 
you're doing it by faith. That God will accept what you do, uh, if you will, uh, in light of what God requires of you. You're doing what you do by faith. Not to puff yourself up, uh, not to make yourself better on your own, but to realize you can't do it on your own, so you live it and you do it by faith. And because they misunderstood the purpose of all, they misunderstood the purpose of God's chosen people, they actually became a stumbling block to the kingdom, and they were no longer a part of it. Can you imagine if being in the shoes of Jesus Christ, not that he cared in either way, can you imagine how many friends he made when he told the Jews it's not automatic? Oh, thank you, Dan. Not many at all. In fact, it infuriated a whole lot of them. Now, again, a lot of the Jews, uh, especially those in leadership, uh, idolized power. Uh, they idolized wealth. They idolized social influence. And so they misunderstood uh, the purpose of God's eternal kingdom. And all they were concerned about was the kingdom of this world. And so they weren't concerned about living for God necessarily. What they wanted was political advancement. Uh, they also uh, wanted personal advancement. And that was the major concern of their life. And so they missed what God wanted them to share to a lost world. And so because of that, they became stumbling blocks and not a part of of the kingdom of God. So again, let me ask this question. Did the Jews expect Messiah to come? Yes. So what's the problem? Absolutely. Good. They didn't expect the one that came. He didn't meet their expectations. Can I give you a life principle here this morning? You won't do it anyway, okay? If Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, guess what? Your expectations are wrong. They are So what they had done, they had conjured up in their mind what Messiah should be like. What God should be like. They came up with a Messiah that would fit their expectations. Does the world do that today? All the time. And the sad thing was, rather than repent and conform to God's holy standards, the Jews of that day believed they could ignore or alter the teaching of Christ, and the world is doing the same According to verse 38, those kind of people are tools of the evil one. That's who Satan uses. And they present a distorted version of God's standard to the world. And in the end, they hinder the gospel. Now, let me give you my personal opinion. My desire would be that most of what you see on television. Preachers, stop being broadcast. It's giving 
prophet Jesus Christ is a bad man. They are inventing a God in their own mind, a God that they have conjured up. And I want to tell you, for the most part, when the world sees stuff like that, the world sits back and laughs. Because what they are doing, they are, they are hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says that sealed is the, is the world in that parable. And again, the focus is not on the weeds. What's going to happen to them? They're going to be burned up. But the focus is on the role we play in the world. The, the impact we have on the world around us. Now, here's what's interesting. For the most part, who did the Jews think made up the kingdom of God? Jews, absolutely. And now Jesus says, the wheat was sown where? Not to the Jews only, but to the world. The gospel is going out to the whole world, and there will be some from all over the world respond in a positive way. But also, the weeds would grow. I suppose I have a question that I need to ask at this point. You know, when we think about the Old Testament, we think about the law. When Christ comes, and he, he didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. So my question is, when did God's standard to enter the kingdom of God, when did it change? Shaking your head, no, Alan, what do you mean? Don't understand. The Bible talks about Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Being a part of the kingdom of God has always been through faith. It's never changed. Now, by the way, James, when he wrote his epistle, he said, faith without works is what? It's dead. You show your faith by your works. We show our faith by our obedience. And faith is expressed through submission to the Lordship of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, faith was expressed through submitting to the law, but also in forsaking any other form of worship. And so, as a child of God today, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, recognizing He is God's Messiah, and we forsake all other forms of worship. Now remember, the wheat were God's children in the world, the weeds were the enemy's children. And what does the enemy really want to do? Take over. He wants to hinder our walk with God. He does. He wants to inter intervene there. And, and here's the, the thing. Satan wants to keep anybody he can from coming to know Christ. And so we have these weeds in the world that he has sown... And they're telling you, everybody goes to heaven anyway. They teach universalism. doesn't matter who you are. We're all the children of God. And they only quote part of what Paul said in, in Galatians. 
It's out there. And the Bible does say we are all the children of God, but the rest of the verse says through faith in Jesus Christ. They leave that part off. Our world teaches that everybody's going. They teach that we can gain heaven without dying to ourselves. We don't need to repent of our wicked deeds. And by the way, how long is that going to go on? Until Jesus comes back. And then it'll be harvest time. Now, I don't know if it's any significant or not, but that kind of jumps out at me uh, this week when I read that parable again. The first ones to the harvest will be the weeds. And again, will God make any mistakes? No. And they'll be cast into the, into the burning fire where Jesus will be weeping and wailing and gnashing his teeth. So do we have those kind of false voices today? Sure we do. But folks, write it down. Judgment is sure. Judgment day is coming. Now, the other parable was fish. They gathered, gathered a whole net full. Did they keep all of them? No. Just the good, thank you, Dan. Just the good ones. Just the good ones. And the idea is the same. There'll be those who fail to rightly submit to the Messiah on his terms. Those who will fail to serve the purpose of his kingdom. And Jesus said they're going to be separated. They are going to be separated. I hope you know by now that a lot of those preachers you see on TV who are begging people for money. And by the way, make no mistake about it. If you look at their programming, and by the way, they hire people to help them uh, promote their ministries. Those ministries are geared, and don't take it as an insult, to prey on older women. That's right. That's exactly what it's about. But here they are. Now, they'll take anybody's money. But guess what they're doing? They're living in mansions. They're flying around in private jets. And they're making a sham of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're missing the mark. But the flag. We don't become citizens of God's kingdom because of our lineage. Can we become that way because of good works? No. It's only by faith. Jesus Christ alone. Let me ask a, a question today. Um, I don't know if you've heard this term or not, um, but in religious circles, when they speak of universalism, <clears throat> universalism, have you any idea what they mean? They teach that everybody is going to heaven. Think of what somebody knew as the Universal Church of Christ. I think that's the name of it. I could be wrong, but that's what they teach. 
they're not the only ones that teach universalism. And they teach that all people will eventually be saved and go to heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I wish that were true. I don't want anybody to go to hell. But is that true? Thank you, Dan. I'm glad you said that. You didn't say that according to Dan. Not according to my preacher, but according to the Word of God. That's not true. According to the Word of God, that is not true. Now, having said that, when we believe that, how does the Bible refute that teaching? How does the Bible refute it? What's, what's one good example? Say what now? Yeah, but now, Cheryl, you're being narrow. But that's not what you said. That's what Jesus said. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes but the fa- to the Father but by or through me. Think about that, folks. The free old Baptist didn't come up with that. The Methodist didn't come up with it. Nobody came up with it. Jesus said that. So if you're going to argue with that, you're arguing with who? With God. The parable of the tares and the wheat. Tell us different. The parable of the uh, great sufferer, the goats and the sheep, tell us different. The parable of the fish that was caught, tell us different. And Jesus said, not, Jesus said, not everybody who cries, Lord, Lord, is going to enter my kingdom. That tells us different. So number one, as a child of God, of his kingdom, we're going to live in a fallen world until Jesus comes. Number two, God's kingdom grows to small beginnings. Somebody read Matthew 31 through 33, please. Thank you, Alex. You'll notice in the overhead the picture of the man with his hand out there, all the hand out there. Uh, it looks like a man's hand to me. Is he holding his, hand, his fingers there? Let's see, the mustard seed. Now, I, I don't know about uh, comparing our mustard seed today. Uh, anybody plant mustard today? Mine comes in a bottle. Uh, but I, I, I don't think the mustard plant grows as big as it did then, different kind of mustard probably. But in that day and time, it could, it could grow 10, 10 to 12 feet high, uh, big enough for the birds of the heaven to find uh, shelter there or even build a nest. And so uh, the mustard seed was a, a very common example among Jewish teachers. And it, uh, you know, something very small still is today. But, but the point is not, not on the greatness of the mature plant, although that was true. Uh, the point is that the difference between the seed and the result. If you compare a tree about 12 feet tall compared to a seed, it's unbelievable. How can something that big come from something that small? Now, it's interesting. The Jews expected the greatness of the kingdom. 
But Dan, you said a while ago, made a good point. When Jesus came, that was the beginning. They thought he'd come how? On a white horse as a king. So they expected the greatness of the kingdom, but they never in their wildest imagination ever dreamed the humbleness of the beginning of the kingdom of God. That it would begin as a baby in a manger, not a king on a white horse. They, could, they couldn't fathom that. And what's interesting is this. The greatness of the kingdom of heaven were unseen. And Jesus, it's a different measure than you would expect. Now, he also used uh, an example of leaven. What is leaven? Yeast. Okay. And uh, now, I, I don't do a lot of baking with yeast. I know Sister Janet enjoys baking. I don't know if she used yeast or not. But at any rate, do you put a whole lot in there? What if I want to put a whole lot in there? Oh, just a tiny little bit. She said, okay. <laughs> it does. It expands it. Now, here's what he's talking about. Whether it's the mustard seed or the little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven. The emphasis is on the change from the small beginning to a big kingdom. Now, Dan, you mentioned earlier he didn't come as a king on a white horse. If he wanted to, could he? Yeah. In fact, while he was here, he could have massed a great army, but he didn't do that. That's not the way it works. And what Jesus wanted them to know, the kingdom of God was there, but it wasn't going to be a political change. It wasn't going to be a military or even economic force, Jesus said, it's going to work in the hearts of men and women. That's where the kingdom of God began. Thank God it's here today. But my friend, that small beginning in our hearts is one day going to give away to the entire kingdom of God. A glorious, eternal Now, here's the problem. Those Jews who were seeking glory and power in this life, they could never accept what Jesus offered. They simply refused, and they missed out. Surprise. You know the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is that going to happen? Absolutely. But we live in a world where the weeds grow. But my friend, small beginning and a wonderful result. How much time have I got left, Jason? Okay. I want to read real quick and then make a couple comments. Verse 44 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven, like unto a treasure hid in the field, which the man has found, he hides, and for joy he... Thereof he goes and seeth all that he has, sells all he has, buys it field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking a goodly pearl. When he had found one pearl of great price, went out and saw all that he had and bought it. What's the point? 
What's it worth? What's the kingdom of heaven worth? Everything. Everything. But then in verse 51, Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood these things? They say unto him, Verse 52, Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scrap which is subject unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that a house builder, which brings forth out his treasure of things new and old. What's he saying here? Have you understood? Yes, Lord, we have. In verse 52, he's saying, in effect, you are, the, you are now the scribe. And you were instructed in the kingdom of heaven. There are others that could have been, but guess what? They refused. But Jesus said, you are instructed. And now you're like a householder. You're bringing out of your treasure things new and things old. Pam wanted to redo our floor in my office this past month. Exaggerating, but that was my idea. And our kitchen floor. And we had to pack up a lot of stuff. Anybody got stuff at your house? And as I was going through it, I found some old things. Things from years ago that brought back memories. And I'm glad for the old things, but I also need new things. And Jesus told the disciples, the things that you thought you understood, are the old, don't throw them away. Bring them out too. But combine them with the new things like a man who brings out of his treasure things old and things new. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. Thank you. Next week, we're going to continue in the book of Matthew. We'll be getting a brand new quarter. It'll still be in Matthew, chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 12, and also chapter 23. And we're going to see where Jesus confronts those self-righteous people. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.